Welcome to The Backpack, a podcast from Christ Community Church in Shelbyville, Kentucky. On The Backpack, we want to prepare you for the journey outside where following Jesus meets real life. Hey, welcome to The Backpack. My name is DJ. I'm one of your hosts, and thanks for joining me back at the canteen, one of our regular segments where we feature sermons from the preaching ministry here at Christ Community Church. It's Christmas time here at CCC, and this weekend we kicked off a new series called Something New. We're looking at the familiar Christmas story and paying attention to what God might be doing in our lives through his word and his spirit. This week, Pastor Blake kicked us off in Luke chapter 1 as we looked at the promise of a child named John coming into the world and the new thing that God was about to do through him. So let's listen in as Pastor Blake brings us this week's message. Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Well, in the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing on the right of the altar of incense. When Zacharias saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of father to their children and the disobedient to the understanding of the righteous, to make ready for the Lord a prepared people. Well, how can I know this, Zechariah asked the angel, for I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah, amazed that he stayed so long in the sanctuary. And when he, did, when he did come out, he could not speak to them. And then they realized that he had seen a vision in the sanctuary. He was making signs to them and remained speechless. And when the days of his ministry were completed, he went back home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. And she said, the Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. It's the word of the Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Teach us, spirit. Change us. Do in our hearts something new, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can be seated. Psychologists who have been counseling teenagers for over 25 years noticed one day that she was seeing what she described as a new breed of unhappy teenagers. They were smart, successful, privileged kids 
who were some, for some reason feeling utterly lost and empty. She quickly recognized one of these girls in her cutter's disguise, as she described it, a long-sleeved t-shirt pulled halfway over her hand with an opening torn in the cuff for her thumb. And when the young girl pulled back her sleeve, the psychologist was startled to find that the girl had used a razor to carve the following word onto her forearm. Empty. Empty. In a reflection, the psychologist wrote these words. I tried to imagine how intensely unhappy my young patient must have felt to cut her distress into her flesh. The most common thing I hear in my office from the kids is, I'm fake. The surface of their family life always looks good. The lawns are always perfectly manicured. The houses always look beautiful. But when you get to what's going on beneath these kids' t-shirts, there's not much happening inside. You know, during this holiday season, we decorate, we take part in family traditions, we read Advent devotionals, we take up the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. At some point, most of us will probably read Luke 2 and hear about these shepherds and the manger and that baby who was already a king. But sometimes, when you assess what's going on underneath all of that, there's not much happening inside. You find your soul empty. You know, what's familiar to us, these traditions and the things that we love and know, those familiar things can often leave us feeling empty. I'm reminded of the wisdom of Ecclesiastes chapter 1. It says in verse 8 and 9, all things are wearisome, more than anyone can say. The eye is not satisfied by seeing or the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There's nothing new under the sun. I have a hunch that that might have been the verse of the hour for Zechariah and Elizabeth. Nothing about Zechariah and Elizabeth's life was novel or refreshing or new. We read in verse 5 and 6 the, the setting of this story. It says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah, and his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. This tells us a, a few things about the situation that help us understand what God is really doing here. You see, the priesthood of Israel was, was already a small percentage of the overall nation. And these priests had long played a, a lead-by-example role for the Jews. So by nature, Zechariah's priesthood would have come with some pressure to keep his fares in an order, to do the right thing. He needed to be seen doing the right thing. But even more than that, his wife, Elizabeth, was a descendant of Aaron. And Aaron was, of course, the first priest post-Egypt. And so, man, she kind of, she had a reputation to uphold too. And so you kind of see this inherent pressure. And, and for the most part, they, they lived up to it. I mean, this is a power couple. It's likely that from a young age, they were well-known in their community. They were expected to be leaders, both as young people, but then as they continued to age, they were looked to as role models. How should you live life? Well, just look at Zechariah and Elizabeth. Even their names were significant. Zechariah, his name means the Lord remembers. The Lord remembers. And, and Elizabeth's name means my God is an oath or, or my God keeps his promises. Alistair Begg displays the, the significance of the, the meaning of these names when he talks about this passage. He kind of he paints a picture of what it might have been like to have these names. 
He says, imagine Zechariah and Elizabeth waking up each morning. They're laying there together. They turn to one another. Zechariah says, Elizabeth, good morning. How'd you sleep? And even the uttering of her name would have been a reminder that God is a God who keeps his promises. And of course, she would have returned, well, I, I slept well. Zechariah, how about you? And you would have been reminded that the Lord remembers. And in this, right, that they, they'd spoken this idea that, that God is, is a faithful, loving God. Day after day, calling each other by name, reminded of that. But the, the, the familiarity of that, I believe, probably left them feeling empty. You see, Zechariah and Elizabeth were waking up each day in one of the darkest worldly kingdoms of all time. The beginning of verse 5 says, In the days of King Herod of Judea. This King Herod was something else. Bloodshed was common for this paranoid tyrant who ended up killing three of his sons on suspicion of treason. He put to death his favorite wife. He had ten. He killed one of his mother-in-laws. He drowned a high priest. He killed several uncles and a couple of cousins too. That's messed up, just in case you were wondering. That's dark. You may remember he was the one who also ordered all the baby boys in his kingdom to be slaughtered too. You think we're living in dark times? Zechariah and Elizabeth might have something to say about that. And day after day, they wake up reminded as they call each other by name of God's faithful love. And, and then having to live up to these expectations, these intense expectations of being a, a family highly connected to the priesthood. And yet Luke writes that they were righteous. They weren't perfect, but they, they loved the Lord. They were obedient. They walked the talk. They were the real deal, as Mike Embry likes to say. Day after day after day. But what's familiar can often leave us feeling empty. Maybe you've experienced that lately. Something about the beginning of Christmas season that you like, but that also leaves you feeling empty. It's just missing something. Feeling empty because of the relational isolation that our media-crazed world struggles with. You think you're connecting with people, but you're not. Maybe, maybe you feel anxious about how much there is to do to get ready for Christmas, and, and, and as you're doing all those things, you begin to ask and wonder inside, like, why do we fill our lives with so many meaningless things? We work hard to maintain the image, the reputation that our family has, while quietly wondering, does anyone really see how empty my soul is? If that's you today, if you can, if you can relate or empathize with any of that, let me say this, you're in good company. All of us at different times feel that sense of emptiness, that isolation, that loneliness. But Zachariah and Elizabeth, I don't believe that they were just emotionally or spiritually empty because we read that Elizabeth was physically empty too. Verse 7 reminds us they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. Come on, God. Like this feels like piling on. These people are doing everything they can. You've given them these names that remind them of your faithfulness, but they have no children. Like, they can't have... What is... Lord, what is up? The Lord remembers? Really? You're a God who keeps your promises? I'd like for you to prove it. You see, when we're empty, doubt begins to dominate. 
when we're empty, when we've been running really hard, when we've been separated from people we love, when things don't seem like they should be, when we're empty, doubt begins to dominate. We don't know what to do with doubt. It scares us. I read a quote this week that stated, most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. You see, when we face uncertainty, we would much rather find a way of escape, a way of comforting ourselves, something to run to that isn't God, to give us just an ounce of certainty. How am I going to pay my bills? What's going on with me medically? Will I ever find someone to marry? Is our marriage going to make it? Is my job secure? Are our kids going to turn out the way that we want them to? Are we even going to have kids? Everybody's got problems. That's it. What will I do? And what will I even be able to do with the extra time that I hope to have in retirement? Am I even going to be able to retire? Have you seen the stock market? In the face of these uncertainties, many times we would rather run to something that we feel is certain. Most people prefer the certainty of misery to the misery of uncertainty. Too often, the uncertain answers to those questions cause us to reach for the certainty of misery. We settle. We give up. We feel empty. And when we're empty, doubt dominates. And that doubt begins to spiral out of control in our minds and in our hearts. Can I give you some good news from this passage today? Our uncertainty can never affect the certainty of God's word. If you walked in here doubting, it does no effect on the certainty of God's word and his promises. The Lord does remember. The Lord does keep his promises. Check this out with me. Look at, look at Luke's introduction to this whole gospel that, that he's writing to Theophilus. He says, Many have undertaken to compile a narrative about the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as the original eyewitnesses and servants of the, of the word handed them down to us. It also seemed good to me, since I've carefully investigated everything from the very first, to write to you in an orderly sequence, most honorable Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things about which you have been instructed. Luke's goal in writing this gospel account is to help Theophilus be certain about who Jesus is. One can come to the conclusion then, right, that that Theophilus is uncertain about Jesus. And so Luke starts his account by showing the certainty of God working in the lives of uncertain people. Isn't that a beautiful thing? So often we think that to come to the Lord, we've got to be certain, we've got to know. But, but Luke says, Theophilus, I know you're uncertain about this. Let me write to you so that you can have some certainty. I'm going to start with this guy named Zachariah who had very little certainty. Look at verse 18. How can I know this? Zachariah asked the angel. For I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. Y'all, It is good news that our certainty can never affect the certainty of God's word. He will remember. He will keep his promises. God's word is certain in our lives. Say, Blake, how can I know what God's word is? Like this Bible thing, I'm new to it. 
even if I'm not new to it, like sometimes it can just be hard. Like, how can I be certain about what God's word is? Well, thankfully, God sent one of his messengers, an angel, right, named Gabriel, to speak truth to Zechariah in this moment of his uncertainty. And we can learn a few things from him about recognizing God's word from what he says to Zechariah, right? Three things. Number one is this. In the midst of our uncertainty, God's word will always rebuke fear. In the midst of our uncertainty, God's word will always rebuke fear. The first words out of the angel's mouth are, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. God's word, whether spoken by this angel to Zechariah or repeated in the words of scripture, are always rebuking fear. It's a common exhortation. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he says this not to shame the fact that Zechariah was afraid, but to remind Zechariah that he doesn't have to be. Right? There's, a, there's a big difference. He's not shaming Zechariah. He's saying, listen, you don't have to be afraid. God's word will always rebuke fear and inspire this confident courage in us because God's word isn't dependent on your certainty. It's dependent on his certainty. What's interesting to know is why Zechariah isn't supposed to fear. He says, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Zechariah was in this process as a priest of taking the incense in to the Holy of Holies, right? And, and in this process, two others would have gone before Zechariah at the altar, and their duties were, were completely spelled out. The first would have gone in, and, and, and what was left on the altar from the day before, from the previous evening service, he, he would have cleared that out, and then he would have walked away backwards from the altar. And then the second would come in and, and spread these live coals uh, taken from that morning's burnt offering. And then he too would have worshipped and, and backed out. And after this, Zechariah would have, would have come in and he's got this incense and he would have put this incense on the coals. And as he did, this fragrant smoke would begin lifting into the air. And that smoke was symbolic of all the prayers that were being offered by the people right outside waiting. As they pray, these, this fragrant incense billowing up was symbolic of their prayers being lifted to God. Do you know whose prayers that would include? Zechariah and Elizabeth. They were being offered to God. I wonder what they were praying for. Perhaps in their barrenness, they were praying for a baby. Perhaps they were praying for a Messiah. I'm going to guess it was one of those two because, boom, angel. And he says, don't be afraid because your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been answered. And white, in one sense, right, quite literally, the angel showed up and answered his prayer right there. Isaiah 65, 24 is a beautiful reminder of how God answers prayer. He says, even before they call, I'll answer. While they're still speaking, I'll hear. And so church, we can be encouraged about God's word in the midst of our uncertainty. Whether it takes days or decades, we should never be surprised when God answers our prayers. God's word always rebukes our fear in answered prayers. But in the midst of our uncertainty, it does something else. God's word will always repeat itself. Number two, in the midst of our uncertainty, God's word will always repeat itself. After the angel says this, then he goes on and he begins speaking this prophecy to Zechariah, right? He begins telling him what's going to happen. And, and as he's saying these things, he's actually repeating prophecies that had previously been told. So Zechariah, as a spiritual leader in the community, he would have read these passages before. 
at the very least, as the angel is saying them and he's hearing them, he would have been reminded, like, I know I've heard this somewhere. He would have been reminded of the words from Malachi, first in chapter three, that says, see, I'm going to send my messenger and he will clear the way before me. Or perhaps by the very last verse of the Old Testament that, that sets the stage. And when it's talking about John the Baptist and it says, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. He would have recognized the words of Isaiah from chapter 40, verse 3, that says, there's a voice of one crying out. We read it this morning. Prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. You see, in the midst of our uncertainty, God's word will always repeat itself. He's going to continue to to remind us of the things that he's already said. And that's really good news for us because it tells us that the more you read scripture, the quicker and the easier it will be to recognize the voice of the Lord leading you to something new because God's word always repeats itself. It is certain. It will continue to teach us again and again the same truths. So I want to encourage you. If that's true, and and if you're longing for something new to to begin to happen in your life, you're tired of the season that you're in, make yourself familiar with God's word so that you can hear him speaking. Whether that's right now, in this season, uh, thinking about, man, what's my reading plan going to be for 2023? I want to think about that now so that I can hit the ground running. Whether it's, uh, you know, my D group is getting ready to end and I need to start praying for and seeking those that God would bring to be in my D group or I need to find a D group so that I'm committed and accountable to being in his word. Like I've got to have a plan to make sure that I'm consistently reading God's word so that I can recognize his voice. Maybe it's simply praying, God, keep me hungry for your word. If you're uncertain, please, please, know that God's word will always repeat itself. So go, be in it, and allow him to use his voice. Last but not least, in the midst of our uncertainty, God's word will always bring good news. Verse 19 and 20, after Zechariah questions, how can I know this? It says, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. If you're Zechariah, right, he says that, and you're like, all right, Good news. I'm needing some good news. It's been, it's a dark time. It's a dark time and me and Elizabeth are feeling empty. We are empty. And then he says, now listen, you're going to become silent and unable to speak. Good news. I thought you said good news, Gabriel. You know, so often as we think about the good news of the gospel, and we, we think about comfort. We think about things that we like and we want. We think about our Christmas list. Like, give me some good news. But man, so many times we forget that even when God delivers hard news, the good news is, is he always offers a way out. Man, this is for your good. It's going to cause you to turn back to me, to repent, to come to me. That is the gospel good news, that though we were sinners, Christ died and made a way for us to be with him. So he says, the good news is I'm going to make you silent so that you will begin to depend on me. Trust me again. You see, the story isn't new, but it will always do something new in you. There's always purpose in your pain. There's there's always a way out when you feel closed in. There's always salvation in the silence with the Lord. 
For 45 years, Pat Summerall's voice and face was, it was football, right? He, he anchored CBS and Fox's NFL telecast with John Madden, and, and you, you've heard his voice probably, even if you don't know you have. He broadcast 16 Super Bowls. Uh, he, he's just done a ton of things. And um, a guy named Art Strickland tells part of Pat Summerall's story. Pat was an only child whose parents divorced before he was born. I'm going to talk about feeling empty. Empty and alone. And in that place, he became an alcoholic. He lived from drink to drink as his body broke down. And uh, Strickland wrote that during the 1994 Masters Tournament, golf, he did golf too, right? He said he faced up with some people around him and he said, I'm getting sick a lot. I'm throwing up blood. I got sick again this morning at 4 a.m. And he said, I looked in the mirror and I saw what a terrible sight I was. And I said to myself, this is not how I want to live. So Pat spent 33 days in a rehab center in California. And it said this, this, this helped alleviate his, his drinking problem, his alcohol problem. But he came out and he still felt empty. In those days shortly after, he bumped into Tom Landry, who had been his old football coach from his days as a star kicker for the Dallas Cowboys. And Landry began to hear Pat's spiritual need, and he connected him with the chaplain of the Dallas Cowboys, a guy named John Weber. They began to talk, and by the glory of God, Pat's life was transformed, and he was baptized at age 69. Art Strickland closed his article with a few words from John Weber, the, the chaplain, that summed up Summerall's journey. Pat Summerall was once the life of every party with a drink in his hand. Now he gets his power from another source. God's word always brings good news. Even when the news is hard to hear. We need to embrace the most difficult moments of life and see those as opportunities to lean into the Lord, to trust him again. You're never too old for God to do something new in your life whether you've journeyed with him for 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, however long. Or maybe you're a 69-year-old who doesn't really know Jesus. The opportunity is the same that Zechariah had that day. And Gabriel said to him, Now listen, you will become silent and unable to speak until the day these things take place. In other words, I'm taking away your ability to speak so that you can learn to listen. I want to encourage us, church, today that if you're looking for God to do something new in your life, listen faithfully. Listen faithfully. This idea of listening in, in solitude or silence is almost foreign in our culture and in our time. The idea of shutting everything down. Richard Foster, in his chapter on solitude in the book Celebration of Discipline, uh, talks about it in, in some really profound ways. He says, though silence sometimes involves the absence of speech, it always involves the act of listening. He goes on to talk about how the discipline of listening faithfully to God in solitude transforms us into who God created us to be. He said, loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. 
And if we possess inner solitude, we, no, we do not fear being alone, for that we know that we are not alone. But neither do we fear being with others, for they do not control us, because silence is intimately related to trust. If you're looking for God to do something new in your life, if you're feeling stuck, if you're consumed by doubt and uncertainty because it seems like nothing is changing, know that when God does something new, he rarely does it with a big splash or the flashy gimmick. Time and time again, God shines bright in the darkest, most confusing and disorienting times in our lives. And that reminds us that our uncertainty cannot affect the certainty of God's word. I love what the prophet Isaiah writes in chapter 50, verse 10. He says, Who among you fears the Lord and listens to his servant? Who among you walks in darkness and has no light? Let him trust in the name of the Lord. Let him lean on his God. How do we do this? How do we listen faithfully? How do we experience God in the silence and solitude? The discipline of listening faithfully in the dark begins like any other, small, Take this afternoon or the evening and spend one minute in silence and solitude. Try three minutes later on this week, slowly and gradually giving yourselves to sitting in the presence of the Lord. This week, as you practice that, in the darkness of silence and solitude, I want to give you some questions that you might ask God and, and ask him to answer. God, how's my soul? How's my soul? God, how can I join you in this season of my life? Like, not, what I, not what ideas do I have about it, but, but I want to hear from you, Lord. Like, how, how can I join you? Lord, who, who would you have me encourage today? listen faithfully. Creator of the universe, who's in control of all things, what can I give you control of? Ask, and then listen faithfully. It's Teresa of Avila who said, settle yourself in solitude, and you will come upon Jesus in yourself. That was true for Elizabeth, too. Zechariah finished his priestly ministry in silence. When he comes out, people are just amazed at what's going on. In the dark world that they were living in, everyone sensed that God was about to do something new. Zechariah finished his duties, and he and Elizabeth went home. That same old faithful place that they'd been for all those years, waking up beside each other, reminding each other that the Lord remembers, the Lord keeps his promises. Verses 24 and 25 says, After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and kept herself in seclusion for five months. Seclusion for five months. Uncertainty. Lord, why did you make Zachariah silent? Lord, is that really a baby that I feel in there? Lord, what are you doing? God, how healthy is my soul? Lord, how are we supposed to join you in this? And she said, 
The Lord has done this for me. He has looked with favor in these days to take away my disgrace among the people. In the silence, God filled Elizabeth's empty womb. In the seclusion, God's word spoke certainty into her uncertainty. The disgrace was gone, and in its place was hope. The Lord had done this for her, and the Lord can do this for you. Jesus takes away our disgrace by filling us with the hope of something new, a new life free from the chains of sin. Today, if you are empty and need Jesus to fill your life, we want to invite you to to respond. Uh, maybe, Maybe today you're like Pat Summerall. You've done a lot of things to clean up your life and to fix things in your life that have been broken or gone bad, but there's still a spiritual emptiness. We want to pray with you. We want, to, we want to help you interact and intersect your life with Jesus. Only he can fill that spiritual emptiness. Katie and Kenny will be in the back. I'll be up front. Others that you came with, maybe, whoever, go to someone and let's, let's meet the creator God in prayer and ask him to fill you with all the fullness of God. And as we come around the communion table, we invite all baptized believers who have said, yeah, I've joined my life to Jesus to come to the table and be reminded that it was his work on the cross that allowed us to be with him, that allows us to be filled by him, that allows us to be made whole by him again. As the band comes, I just want to read this prayer from Romans 15.5 over us today. Now may the God who gives endurance and encouragement grant you to live in harmony with one another, according to Christ Jesus, so that you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ with one mind and one voice. Lord, thank you. We pray that you would continue to unite us through your son Jesus. Give us hope in place of our disgrace. Lord, in in our uncertainties, I pray that you would be certain, that you would help us to not run from you in the midst of our uncertainty, but run to you. As we come to the communion table, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of the certainty of the truth of the cross that changes our lives forever. We thank you, Lord. Spirit, we pray that you would work in people's lives right now in this moment. Speak truth to their hearts. Protect people as they make decisions to follow you. We trust you and we ask you these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, DJ again. Thanks for joining us at the canteen and listening to this week's message. Uh, We hope it was helpful to you and that you're encouraged and challenged as we set out this week to walk the walk of faith together, joining Jesus in going outside. 
Uh, if you're a part of Christ's community, hey, let's let's lean into this. Let's not let this just be an academic exercise, but let's apply what we've heard today. How can you be applying this truth in your life this week? If you're not part of the Christ community family, we're glad that you joined us, glad that you found us, and we hope that, uh, that this message was helpful to you as well. One encouragement we would give you, if you're not part of a local church, uh, please don't use these resources as a substitute for that. It is a pale imitation of the real thing as we live in community with one another. So if you're in the Shelbyville area, we'd love to have you come out and join us. But wherever you are, find a local church, get plugged in an experienced Christian community as it was meant to be, and continue to use these resources to supplement that journey. But please don't replace it. Thanks for joining us this week. Grab your backpack, and I will see you on the trail. Thanks for listening to The Backpack, a production of Christ Community Church. The Backpack is hosted by DJ Williams, Daniel Bright, and Josiah Ward. You can learn more about Christ Community Church at loveshelbyville.com.